Thank you so much for tuning in to this rebroadcast of the Friday Night Live Show on the Discord server. If you didn't come to the live show, what you missed out of this recording is me singing an original song. And totally original. I wrote all of the lyrics and I sang it and I knocked uh, I, I knocked it out the park, quite frankly. You also missed cute kitty stories and just a general good time. This is my pitch to try and get you to come on out to a live show Fridays, 10 p.m. on the Discord server. You can find a link below. I do hope to see you there. And now, on to the recording. <laughs> you are such a cute little thing. Take my dick into that pretty little mouth of yours and make me come. I'll never stop loving you. I'll always love you. Now shut up and listen to me tell you I love you. You taste so fucking good. I want more. Let me see how well you follow orders. Please don't make me beg. I can't wait until I can hear those sexy moans in my ear saying my name. Do the fucking dishes. Good girl. You better be a good girl. Yo, you thought being a good girl would stop me from spanking that ass? Oh, that's just adorable. Do you feel that? Do you feel what you do to Daddy? Do it faster. Please. What am I doing? Well, I'm coming over to give the missus some kisses. Because I missed you today. All right, girls, we're wrapping up. Quick quotes, almost finishing. If you have a quick quote, this is the time. Feel free to put it on in. I see some new girls out here tonight. Thank you very much for coming out here. Every single new girl, well, just know that I appreciate you appearing. It means a whole, whole lot. Come here. Sit with Daddy. Let me hold you close. And then fuck you. Okay. <clears throat> One more time, because it is always a crowd pleaser. Get ready and hold on to your groins. <clears throat> you know what? 
That wasn't good enough. Give me, give me one more time. I need to take a running start. <clears throat> Here we go. giggle i think it's pretty funny too <laughs> but a lot of girls like it so there we go okay let's move on to the next phase and that is just going to go ahead and move right on into the asmr that we're going to do collectively here's how i write a script i use screenwriting uh screenwriting breaks down the stories into three acts act one act two uh, and Act 3. Now, this is a little bit confusing because Act 2 is as big as Act 1 and Act 3 combined. Act 2 combined is, is generally broken down into two parts, A and B. Well, why is it Act 1, Part uh, 2, Part 1, 2, Part 2, and 3? Why isn't it Act 1, 2, 3, 4? The short answer is because that's the way it's taught. That's the way people have been teaching it for decades, and people don't want to let go of that for one uh, and then for two is symbolically, Act Two is supposed to be the fun of the story. Act Two is supposed to be where the interesting things happen. So in a superhero movie, Act One is the superhero gets their powers and finds their nemesis uh, and, and gets into trouble. Act Two is where the superhero does their superhero thing. If they're the cape, if this is a movie about the superhero, the cape... Act 1 is about getting the cape and finding out why he needs the cape to be a superhero and what the powers of the cape are and who's after the cape. And then Act 2 is the fun part. That's where the guy learns that he is the cape and that he can do these super things. And then he uses them and we see them and we see him fight people with his fucking cape. And then Act 3 is the consequence of Act 2. It's, uh, it's kind of merging the first two worlds together. And so we have to see the consequence of the fun. Well, now that he's this guy and he's got this cape and he's beating up bad guys, the boss of the bad guys wants to kill him and finds out where his family lives. And they take his daughter and his wife and they're going to kill him unless he capes the right way. Okay? So uh, that is Act 1, 2, and 3. And I'm just explaining that super quickly so that we can break it on down. So, I need you guys to give me quick answers here, since we are doing this live and on the fly. I need you guys to tell me in ASMR... I should ask this before I broke down fucking story structure. I need you guys to tell me what this ASMR is about. What is the theme of this ASMR? In just one word, what is the theme of this ASMR? A theme can be love. A theme can be kindness. A theme can be danger. A theme can be intrigue. But what is the theme? What do, what do you want to see me write a story about today on the goddamn fly? What would make you happy to see that story just being written right out? All suggestions are welcome. Please do not feel silly. This is going to come together no matter what. So let's just put theme... So that we know what we're writing. Tenderness. I, hate, I see a vote for tenderness. Romantic. Mystery. Romantic. We've got two for romantic. 
So it looks like we're going towards the softer side. Two for mystery. All right. Uh, three for romantic. Four, four, oh, lots of mystery. Mystery, 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 mystery. Okay. Mystery. With some romance. Mystery's not at all hard to write on the fly. Mysteries are so easy to concoct off the top of one's head. So this will be very easy. <sighs> okay, so. Mystery with a little bit of romance is what we're going to do. Okay, so. Once again. Just real quick, Act 1 is the setup. So in Act 1 of a mystery, what we're setting up is not the any kind of evidence or any kind of follow-through. We're setting everything up. So a great mystery, a great TV show mystery, is Broadchurch Season 1. I have mixed feelings about Broadchurch Seasons 2 and 3, but Season 1 is fantastic. Uh, and what Broadchurch Season 1 does after it introduces you to the death of a small child, because <laughs> TV is awesome when people die, is introduce you to like five different people who could realistically have killed that motherfucker. Five different people that you're, that you're legitimately like, oh, it could really be this person. Because it's horrible to kill a child. So they introduce like five different people that you're like, oh. Wow, a lot of people in this tiny village want, might be wanting to kill a kid. And it's fantastic. It works really, really well. So that's what Act 1 is. If you think about the first two episodes, maybe the first three episodes of Broadchurch, we're introducing the characters, we're introducing the setting, and we're introducing, very importantly, all these different mysterious characters who might have a motive to do this crime. So, Act 1 of this ASMR mystery, because it's only going to be a couple of minutes long, we need to set up what the mystery is. What is the mystery? What is going to set us off? What is the listener? Because everything in about one of these radio plays is directed towards the listener. What is the listener investigating? What is the listener curious about that the narrator is going to be able to inform her on? What is the narrator? What is, what is I, the speaker, going to illuminate. The origins of a certain landmark. Oh, we're getting spooky already. Because we're not getting anthropological. Because it's not like, it's the mystery of the Sioux in the 1700s. A lot of, lot of disappearances, sir. Okay, a lot of disappearances. So, this is a... Uh, Now you can all see how badly I spell without little squiggly lines to conform me. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? Grant stole the cookie from the cookie jar. It's a great callback. I fucking hate that song. All right. So <laughs> this is a mystery. I'm going to have a little bit of romance on it about a disappearance. A woman disappeared. What is her relationship to you? What do you and this woman who disappeared have in common? Your rivals, you have that, your sister, 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 sister. God, you guys are dark as shit. Okay, sister it is. Uh, a woman disappears, and sometime later, a mysterious man meets her sister. Okay. That is setting a shit ton of story up. Okay? 
There's a lot of elements just in that one line. I'm going to say it again. This is the first, like, not ironic. This is the first serious thing I've said. Listen to these words and listen to how much story is compacted into them that you guys wrote. Ready? A woman disappears, and sometime later, a mysterious man meets her sister. She suspects he's involved or at least knows more than he lets on. That's act one. So, the fun of a mystery is unraveling the mystery. It's not solving the mystery. It's unraveling the mystery. Do we all agree? If mysteries came with little buttons that you can press and you could get the answer, they wouldn't be nearly as satisfying. So in Act 2, we're going to, again, it's in two parts, A and B. So in Act 2, and because this is all dialogue, we have to do it. We can't investigate. And we're not going to go all over the place. I'm not going to be able to cut and be like, okay, now we're at the marsh. Okay, now we're at the ruins, right? I could do that if it wasn't to be a live recording, uh, but it's going to be a live recording. We have to pretend that this is a stage play, basically. And so the mystery is going to be unraveled through the conversation between these two people. Now, is the sister in investigating the mystery? Or is she being duped by the same man? Has he come forward all of a sudden after some time to say that he has information. I have information about your sister, or is the sister shaking him down and being inquisitive about him? Has she put two and two together? You like the guy coming towards the woman. Okay, so this mysterious man approaches the woman after the disappearance, sometime after the disappearance, sometime after the disappearance. Okay. Okay. He says he has something to offer her. But, but, that's 2A. So once again, a woman disappears and sometime later a mysterious man meets her sister. She suspects he's involved or at least knows more than he lets on. This mysterious man approaches the woman sometime after the disappearance. He says he has something to offer her. But, right, I have information about your sister, but I need you to come and see me alone, he says at a later time and date. Yeah? Because I don't know who we can trust. So, the mystery is, right? The mystery is, what happened to my sister? This guy comes forward, he's gonna try and convince you to go alone. What's the resolution? Do you go off with him? And then we have an implication as to what the ending is, but we kind of trail off on an ellipses. Does he murder her? Does she figure it out? Does she, does she use some verbal trick and does she get him a one-up on him? Does there's, – there's so many ways that this conversation can go. I'm offering you something as the listener that you want. You want information about your sister. So 
it can either, the story can conclude either on you getting the information or not getting the information. It can conclude on uh, you being victorious or you paying the ultimate price. So you guys want to trick him into an answer. She goes with, but she checks him out. I like the one up. You like the one up as in she one ups him? As in she wins? You want the listener to win? Okay, so do you want the... Uh, let's, let, let me break it down since I just asked a billion questions. Do you want a resolution to what happened to the sister in the audio? For sure. You want, do you want a firm ending? You want to know for sure what happens to the sister. Oh, it's really torn. It's really torn. Oh, it's really torn. I think the no's have it. So the no is not... We're going to go with no, but... Uh, wasn't it wasn't a, a huge win um so no we're not going to have a firm win so then this person's going to be a little bit mysterious all the way to the end okay so if we don't get an answer if we take that off the table then then what we have available to us is something more akin to uh let's see i need you to come with me alone he says at a later time and date because i don't know who we can trust Okay, so the sister, the remaining sister, then uses her wiles to convince or to cajole him into giving away too much information, but not enough to proceed. So we're going to end on a little dot, dot, dot. So that he slips up and he says something. And then the tag, this is what I like the most at the end about doing a radio play, about doing something uh, on a podcast. Uh, the tag at the end is just something that you say that brings everything back together. And so the tag will be something, something, just like your sister. Bum, bum, bum. That's what he's going to say at the end. That ties everything together. Okay, so now here's the actual writing part. And I'm not going to be speaking out loud uh, in quite the same way because i got to be concentrating on actually writing a fucking mystery off the top of my head. Why not? Okay. So it starts off with a hello there. Right? Because let's do the Kenobi meme. It starts off with a hello. <laughs> It starts off with a hello. Uh, okay, so act one. A woman disappears, and sometime later a mysterious man meets her sister. She suspects he's involved, or at least knows more than he lets on. Hello. You don't know who I am. Mysterious. But I know who you are. And I know your pain. Because this guy's coming in hot, right? This is a short audio. And we're trying to hook people. So, no, I don't blame you for being skeptical. But it's true. I know you. I know you anywhere. You have the same eyes as her. You're the missing girl's sister. Aren't you? Yeah? 
So now we can kind of see the shape of Act 1 taking hold. So he has to do something in Act 1 that makes the listener suspicious. You know that he's a suspect. However, the listener doesn't, right? So this is actually, I'm going to go off on a, on a brief rant about writing. This is why you don't start your writing of any form with a monologue. This is why you never, ever start your writing with a monologue. Because you know what you want that monologue to connect to with the rest of your story. You know how that monologue feeds into every other character and everything else. But your audience doesn't. And so you're giving them this huge block of information at the beginning, and they have no idea whether it's going to plug in or not anywhere in the rest of the story. So uh, you don't start off with a monologue if you can avoid it, right? Uh, you just go ahead and and you put it in. How do you know she's looking for the sister? Uh, I don't understand the question at all. What do you mean, how, how would he know? It's a story. That's how he knows. <laughs> Somebody went missing, and that got reported. I, 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 don't, I also don't know what he had for lunch yesterday, just, to, just if we're breaking down, like, characters and what have you. Uh, that's, that's, that's not how it works. Because, <laughs> for one, he hasn't said she's looking for anybody. Uh... Once again, just going to go over Act 1 one more time. A woman disappears, and sometime later, a mysterious man meets her sister. She suspects he's involved, or at least knows more than he lets on. That's all we're doing right now. Okay, so, I know you anywhere. You have the same eyes as her. You're the missing girl sister, aren't you? I knew it. You look just... Here we go. Here's a clue. Here's a clue. You looked just like her. And then we're not going to focus on that, but use the past tense. And that's just a little clue. No one's going to say looked. Yeah, there we go. But we're going to speed right past it. You look just like her. You're both so beautiful. Present tense again. Get out of that past tense because it was a slip up. Maybe even put a little acting elbow grease on that one. You look so beautiful. Both of you. I know that face anywhere. It's different, but really, you look exactly the same. I just knew you were sisters from across the room. Me? I just, I, I just an average citizen. I'm just an average guy, saw the news, but I, I had to come over and talk to you when I realized you're really her. Okay. Okay, so now, that's 1A, super quick. So now we're into the fun. Now we're into the mysterious part. That's all just set up. That's all just to get us there. This is now the second part of uh, the screenplay. This is now the fun of the mystery. This is the back and forth. This is the unraveling of the mystery in a way that's supposed to leave you tense and interested. Well, they're not identical twins. 
He's just saying that they look alike. I'm definitely putting my foot down. They're not identical twins. I'm not going that far. I hate that trope. Okay. <laughs> so this mysterious man approaches the woman some time after the disappearance. He says he has something to offer her, but... Okay, so how do we work this in? Because this is the mystery. This is the part of it. You know, when the whole thing happened, I didn't know what to make of it. It's so peaceful around here. Things like that never happen. The cops. So we're going to make them arrogant here, right? We're going to imply some arrogance. We're going to imply, again, some mystery here about this guy. The cops, you know, they can't solve anything. They're not used they're not used to a criminal used to used to a criminal who can disappear like that. It's almost like he admires him. I felt so bad for you, for your family. For your family. And really hoped that the FBI would get involved. When they didn't, I watched the news every night. I watched the coverage every night. I already said news. Coverage every night. I just felt so helpless. I mean, she was out there with some man. Alone. And nobody was doing anything. Oh, sure. I joined the walks looking for her. I volunteered. In fact, in one of the news conferences, in one of the press conferences, I keep trying to use press conferences, in one of the press conferences, you can see me standing there in the crowd. I recorded it off the local news. Actually, I thought I saw something on one of those walks. Dot, dot, dot. Why didn't I report it? Well, okay, so now we're in Act 2B. Again, this is supposed to be the fun part. Hopefully this is the fun part of the ASMR where you feel like there's a little cat and mouse or something like that happening. Now, that's the setup for it. Here's the conclusion. I need you to come and see me alone, he says, at a later time and date, because I don't know who we can trust. Okay. <clears throat> Why didn't I report it? Well, I don't know who we can trust. Well, the thing is... I don't just think the cops around here are incompetent. I think there's a cover-up going on. Your sister, she's not the first to go missing, is she? But where was all the attention? Why didn't they do more? Who's trying to stop this person? And that's when I realized anything you say to the police, well, you never hear 
about it again, do you? That press conference, bring it back, that I mentioned earlier, I'm sure you heard many. I'm sure you heard many like it and talk to the police yourself. Just like I did. <laughs> but they wouldn't say anything, would they? They would just keep talking about, um, I would word this better if I had more time, talking about how they couldn't reveal details, right? That's what they did with me. Every time I asked a question, they just stonewalled me. And I was just like you, trying to get to the bottom. To the bottom of it all, trying to find out what they knew. To help. <laughs> okay. Act three, this is the conclusion. This is where we draw it all home. We have to stop introducing things. The best stories, the best stories in anything you say, uh, in any medium, in my opinion, add virtually nothing in Act 3. The last 25% of a movie, of a novel, of a poem, I don't want a new character to appear. I don't want a single new character to appear. Not one. I don't want a single new location to appear. If we're seeing it for the first time, I want it mentioned previously. Act 3 is all about taking Acts 1 and 2 and fusing them together. All right? Climax is always in the Act 3. That's correct. Almost always in the Act 3. And uh, Downfall, eh, Denouement, uh, that's, that's different. Climax is typically in the Act 3. But... The best way to think about this, why is it Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 when Act 2 is so big? Why do they do it that way? Here is the best answer that I have for you guys before we write Act 3. Ready? Act 1. Somebody is a schmuck in this world. Act 2. Somebody is a hero in this world. Act 3. Somebody becomes the hero of both worlds. Let me give you an example. Terminator 1. The protagonist is probably Sarah Carter. Sarah Kana. Sarah Kana. I don't know. I call the Kata. Her name is Kana. It's not, it's not the guy who comes back and fucks her. Spoiler alerts. For a movie 40 years old. But Sarah Connor herself. And Sarah Connor. It's a story about a robot who's going back to kill a woman before she gives birth. Because the baby in the future kicks machine ass. That's the premise of Terminator 1. In the first act of Terminator, Sarah Connor is a shitty waitress who lives in a shitty apartment, who has a shitty ex-boyfriend and a shitty car, and she hates L.A., and nothing's working out for her, and then women named Sarah Connor are getting fucking murdered. They're getting shot 20, 30 times in the head. That's Act 1 of Sarah Connor's journey in the Terminator. Terminator Part 2. 
She hooks up with this young hot guy. She goes on the road. The police are dying, but she's not. She's running away from this thing because he's the Terminator and he's very powerful, but she's being very heroic in doing so, and she's surviving. Everybody else who meets the Terminator, as his name implies, is terminated, but she's not, and she runs away. Act 3, the climax, she's still just a waitress. She loses her bodyguard, the cute guy who's fucking her. She's, she's, she's still just this everyday average woman. However, being on the run from this guy, learning all about guns, learning all about explosives, learning all about herself, she tricks all of that information and she uses all of it to destroy the Terminator in Act 3. And as she destroys him, she shows that she's evolved. She shows that she's no longer the meek little waitress because he kind of does the same thing that happens in Act 1 when she's a waitress, except now she's destroying a robot, and she's like, Go fuck yourself! Which she didn't have the courage to do. So she's become a master of both worlds. The implication is that she's not going to go back to waiting tables. She's not going to go back to driving her shitty car. She's not going to go back to taking it anymore. And indeed, if you watch Terminator 2, she sure fucking didn't. <laughs> okay, so we're really only trying to combine what we've got in these existing paragraphs to get to Act 3. Here's our Act 3. Here's our conclusion, and here is our climax. Ready? The remaining sister then uses her wiles to cajole him into giving away too much information, but not enough to proceed. Here we go. So this is a little bit challenging because it's both mystery and it's only my voice. I can't do her dialogue, but here we go. <sighs> to help what? T to help with the search. Well, why, y y yes, I did say that I only volunteered, but I did want to help. Oh, no, I, I can't say that I, I knew her that well at all. What was that? Well, I, uh, I, I guess you could say that I knew her a little bit before she vanished. We spoke once. Actually, here. But that's all. I just talked to her once. And I told the police. I, I told them everything. Uh, no, let's, let's get rid of the police part. I just talked to her once. We actually spoke once. Okay, deleting them to the ear. We spoke once, actually. Something about her just caught my eye. I thought she was very pretty. Let's take it back to Act 1. And I approached her for a conversation. We hit it off well enough. But she didn't leave with me, if that's what you're asking. No. Take, get rid of that no. 
but she didn't leave with me, if that's what you're asking. Uh, in fact, I may have been one of the last people to see her, but I already told the police everything I know. I went in for a voluntary interview, and I gave my full statement to the lawyer. Full statement with a lawyer. Now, if you'll excuse me, I don't much care for the implication. You sound just like the police did when they asked me why I was so unfamiliar with the land we were searching when the land, not with, when the land, when the land we were searching for her was right behind my house. Da, da, da. You know, I really do have to be going. But I had a lovely conversation with you. I hope to see you again soon. Like I said, as soon as I saw her, I knew, just like you. There we go. That's a script. It's not perfect. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but let's see how it reads, part one, two, three, four, and how it comes out. <clears throat> Here we are. We wrote this together. <laughs> Hello. You don't know who I am, but I know who you are, and I know your pain. No, I don't blame you for being skeptical, but it's true. I know you. I'd know you anywhere. You have the same eyes as her. You're the missing girl's sister, aren't you? I knew it. You looked just like her. You're both so beautiful, both of you. I, I know that face anywhere. It's different, but really, you look exactly the same. I just knew you were both sisters from across the room. Me? I'm just, uh, I'm just an average guy. I saw the news, but I had to come over and talk to you when I realized... You're really her. You know, when that whole thing happened, I didn't know what to make of it. It's so peaceful around here. Things like that never happen. The cops, you know, they can't solve anything. They're just not used to a criminal who can disappear like that, I think. I feel so bad for you, for your family and really hoped that the FBI would get involved. Really hoped. When they didn't, I watched coverage every night. I just felt so helpless. I mean, she was out there. 
with some man alone and nobody was doing anything oh sure i joined the walks looking for her. i volunteered in fact in one of the press conferences you can see me standing there in the crowd i recorded it off the local news actually now that i'm mentioning it i i thought i saw something on one of those walks why didn't I report it? Well, the thing is, I don't just think the cops around here are incompetent. I think there's a cover-up going on. Your sister, she's not the first to go missing, is she? But where was all the attention? Why didn't they do more? Who's trying to stop this person? And that's when I realized... Anything you say to the police, well, you never hear about it again, do you? The press conference I mentioned earlier, I'm sure you heard many like it, and talked to the police yourself, just like I did. But they wouldn't say anything, would they? They would just keep talking about how they couldn't reveal details, right? And that's what they did with me. Every time I asked a question, they just stonewalled me. And I was just like you. Just trying to get to the bottom of it all. Trying to find out what they knew. To help. To help what? Help with the search. <laughs> yes, I did say that I only volunteered, but I did want to help. <laughs> oh, oh no, I, I can't say that I knew her very well at all. What was that? Well, uh, I, I guess you could say that I knew her a little bit before she vanished. Uh, we spoke once, actually. Something about her just caught my eye, and I thought she was very pretty, and I approached her for a conversation. We hit it off well enough, but she didn't leave with me, if that's what you're asking. In fact, I may have been one of the very last people to see her, but I already told the police everything I know. I, I went in for a voluntary interview, and I gave my full statement with my lawyer. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, now, if you'll excuse me, I, I don't much care for the implication. You, you sound just like the police did when they asked me why I was so unfamiliar with the land we were searching for her when it was right behind my house. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I really have to be going, but I had a lovely conversation with you. And... I do hope to see you again soon. Like I said, as soon as I saw her, I knew. Just like you. We did it. I don't know if he did it or not. He sounds kind of guilty. <laughs> he sounds kind of guilty. <laughs>
Thanks for picking the hardest genre, motherfucking pay me. Thanks for picking the hardest genre, motherfucking pay me. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Let's do a little poetry. Come, madame, come, all rest my powers defy. Until I labor, I in labor lie. The foe oft-times having the foe in sight is tired with standing, though he never fight. Off with the girdle, like heaven's zone glistening, but a far fairer world encompassing. Unpin that spangled breastplate which you wear, that thy eyes of busy fools may be stopped there. Unlace yourself, for that harmonious chime tells me from you that now it is bedtime. Off with the happy busk which I envy that can still be and still can stand so nigh. Your gown going off such beautiful state reveals as when from flowery meads the hill shadow steals. Off with that wiry coronet, that shoe, the hairy diadem, which on you doth grow. Now off with those shoes, and then safely tread in this love's hallowed temple, this soft bed. In such white robes heaven's angels used to be received by men. Thou angel bringest with thee a heaven like Mahomet's paradise. And though ill spirits walk in white, we easily know, but this angels from an evil sprite. Those that set our hairs, but these are flesh uptight, licensed by roving hands and let them go, before, behind, between, above, below. O oh, my America, my new-found land, my kingdom safeliest with one man manned, my mine of precious stones, my empire my how blessed I am in discovering thee. To enter in these bonds is to be free, then where my hand is set, my seal shall be. Full nakedness, all joys are due to thee, as souls unbodied bodies unclothed must be. To taste whole joys, gems which you've women use, are like Atlanta's balls cast in men's views. That when a fool's eye lengthen on a gem, his earthly soul may covet theirs, not them. Like pictures or like books gay covering made, for laymen all are women thus arrayed. Themselves are mystical books, which only whom their imputed grace will dignify must see revealed. Then, since that I may know as liberally as to a midwife, shoe thyself. Cast all ye this white linen hence. There is no penitence due to innocence. To teach thee, I am naked first. Why then what needst thou have more covering than a man?
A lot of work to get a guy naked. Gal naked. That's John Dunn to his mistress going to bed. All I'm saying is, if you got to convince a woman to strip off that much, maybe she doesn't want to be naked in front of your homes. Maybe she doesn't want to be naked in front of your homie. <laughs> if you want to change the world, love a man. Really love him. Choose the one whose soul calls to yours clearly, who sees you, who is brave enough to be afraid. Accept his hand and guide him gently to your heart's blood, where he can feel your warmth upon him and rest there, and burn his heavy load in your fires. Look into his eyes, look deep within, and see what lies dormant or awake or shy and expectant there. Look into his eyes and see there his fathers and grandfathers and all the wars and madness their spirits fought in some distant land, some distant time. Look upon their pains and struggles and torments and guilt without judgment, and let it all go. Feel into his ancestral burden, and know that what he seeks is safe refuge in you. Let him melt into your steady gaze, and know that you need not mere that rage, because you have a womb, a sweep, a sweet, deep gateway to wash and renew old wounds. If you want to change the world, love a man. Really love him. Sit before him in the full majesty of your woman, in the breath of your vulnerability, in the play of your childhood innocence, in the depths of your death. Flowering invitation, softly yielding, allowing his power as a man to step forward towards you and swim in the earth's womb, in silent knowing, together. And when he retreats, because he will, when he flees in fear to his cave, gather your grandmothers around you, envelop in their wisdoms, hear their gentle shushing and whispers, calm your frightened girl's heart, urging you to be still and wait patiently for his return. Sit and sing by his door a song of remembrance that he may be soothed once more. If you want to change the world, love a man. Really love him. Do not coax him out of his little boy with his guiles and wiles and seduction and trickery, only to lure him to a web of destruction, to a place of chaos and hatred more terrible than any war fought by his brothers. This is not feminine. This is revenge. This is poison of the twisted lines, of the abuse of the ages, of the rape of our world, and this gives no power to women. It reduces her as it cuts off his balls, and it kills us all. And whether his mother held him or could not, 
Show him the true mother now. Hold him and guide him in your grace and your depth, smoldering in the center of the earth's core. Do not punish him for his wounds that you think don't meet your needs or criteria. Cry for him, sweet rivers, bleed it all back home. And if you want to change the world, love a man. Really love him. Love him enough to be naked and free. Love him enough to open your body and soul to the cycle of birth and death. And thank him for the opportunity as you dance together through the raging winds and silent wood. Be brave enough to be fragile and let him drink in the soft, heady petals of your being. Let him know that he can hold you stand up and protect you. Fall back into his arms and trust him to catch you, even if you've been dropped a thousand times before. Teach him how to surrender by surrendering yourself and merge into sweet nothing of this world's heart. If you want to change the world, love a man. Really love him. Encourage him. Feed him. Allow him. Hear him. Hold him. Heal him. And you, in turn, will be nourished and supported and protected by strong arms and clear thoughts and focused arrows because he can, if you let him, be all that you dream. Lauren Wills, If You Love a Man Where do I find this poetry? You girls suggest it. <clears throat> you girls request it, and I read it, and then I hope that occasionally you'll put money in my jar when you can afford it. Tell your friends about me. Uh... Make me more famous. That whole thing. That's how. This show is entirely powered by you girls. Your tips, your follows, your reblogs, you bringing new girls to the show. Couldn't do it without you. <clears throat> I had slept. I must have. The sheer exhaustion must have done it. Because all of a sudden I was standing up. I was staring up into the great pattern of leaded glass that made up the ceiling, and the handler was standing there as he said, Come on, Elliot, we don't need to keep the perfectionist waiting. No, of course not. And so the labyrinth with my last moments of life before Lisa slowly tickling away. We stopped, white hallway, a pair of heavily carved double doors. Silence. Okay, you're much too stable for a total psychotic break. The handler snapped his fingers, go inside, Elliot, and wait there silently on your knees. The doors closed behind me. He was gone, and I felt the panic rising as keenly as ever before. I was looking at a large room done entirely in blue tints with violent splashes of bolder colors that caught the light. There was no electric illumination here. Only the sun filtered through the blue and violet flowered curtains over the French doors. Yards of deep vermilion carpet and on the walls giant Renoirs and Seurats 
intermingled with Haitian paintings, brilliant works full of Haitian sky and green hills and dark stick figure Haitians at work, at play, and in dance. I know how to pronounce both Renoir and Surratt, and, I, and I'm dyslexic, and I got fucking tackled by both, so you bitches better be wet. Because <clears throat> I didn't even stop. There were long-faced African masks as well as Indian masks in bright enameled green and red. Graceful, serpentine African sculptures of wood and stone rose here and there, out of banks and potted palms and ferns. To my left, it, its head against the wall loomed a large four-poster brass bed. The thing reminded me of a giant gold cage. It had drapery rods and scrollwork. It was hung all in white cotton lace, even to the sheer curtains that enveloped it, in a diaphanous cloud. Heaps of lace-trimmed pillows lay piled on the ruffled cotton spread. A bower is, the, is what it was, a kind of fanciful thing men often love, but can arrange for themselves, leaving it to the women in their lives to create. I saw myself walking toward it. I was dressed in a black tuxedo, and I had a bouquet of flowers in my hand, ordinary daisies. I was bent down and kissed a girl who was sleeping in the bed. That kind of bed, but there wasn't any girl in it. She wasn't anywhere in sight. Time just to enjoy the intensity of the room, the way it was so marvelously suggested, the forbidden even in this forbidden place. The slight movement of the green tree branches beyond the flowered gauze of the window curtains was something like a dance. I felt a rush of blood to my head, a sudden disorientation. The trap door had opened and I had stumbled into some secret chamber, and the whole room distressed me suddenly for no apparent reason. The mess of silver articles before the circular mirror on the dresser, boxes, perfume bottles, brushes. A black satin high-heeled shoe laying on its side by a chair, all that snow-white lace. I sat back on my heels, looking around, wishing my face wasn't so hot, and the rest of me wasn't so hot. I had been in stuffy, feminine Victorian bedrooms at Martin's house, but this was different, uncontrived, even a little insane. Not a stage set for all the craziness here, but a real place. There were lots of books, shelves of them on the far wall, and they were all chewed up like someone really had read them all to death, paperbacks stuffed in with the hardcovers, some of them patched up with tape. I stared forward at nothing and everything, at a white leather chair dangling from the ceiling and a pair of leather handcuffs attached to it, at the black satin shoe lying on its side. And when a door opened somewhere with a soft, almost inaudible click, I felt the hairs rise on the back of my neck. She had come out of the bath. I could smell the perfumed steam of the bath, one of those piercing sweet floral scents, 
very nice, and some other aroma, something clean and smoky and mingled with the perfume. Her smell. She moved across the room into my field of vision without making a sound. She was wearing spike heel slippers of white satin, like the black one discarded by the chair. And above that, she wore nothing but a little lace-trimmed slip that came halfway down her thighs. The slip was cotton. Bad luck. I don't really care one or the other way about her... Uh, <clears throat> I don't really care one way or the other about the feel of a body through nylon. But a body under sheer cotton drives me out of my head. Her breasts were naked under the slip, and her hair hung down in a dark shadow about her shoulders, something like a Virgin Mary veil. And though the slip, I could, and through the slip, I could see the dark triangle between her legs. Again, I had that sense of a force emanating from her. Beauty alone couldn't account for the effect of her presence, even in this insane room, though beauty she certainly had. I never should have sat back without her permission, and to look at her directly, that was a violation of the rules of the game. Yet, I did. I looked up at her through my head, though my head was slightly bowed, and when I saw her small, sharply angled face, her large brown eyes almost brooding as we stared at each other, the sense of her force intensified. Her mouth was indescribably luscious, let me try anyway. It was rouged without gloss so that the deep red appeared natural, and the bones of her delicately sloping shoulders were for some mysterious reason and enticing to me as the full slope of her breasts. But the current coming from her was not the sum of all the splendid details. No, it was as if she was giving off invisible heat. She was smoldering in the skimpy little slip and the fragile satin slippers, and you couldn't see the smoke, but you knew it was there. She, there was something almost inhuman about her. She made me think of an old-fashioned word. The word, lust. I looked down deliberately, and going on my hands and knees towards her, I stopped when I had reached her feet. I could feel the force coming from her, the heat. I pressed my lips to her naked toes, to her instep above the band of satin, and I felt the strange, baffling shock again that left a tingling in my lips. Stand up, she said softly, and keep your hands clasped behind your back. I rose as slowly as I could without breaking the movement, and when I obeyed, I was certain my face was really red. But it wasn't the old, ritualized emotion. I stood over her, and though I didn't look at her again, I, I'm certain my face was really red. But it wasn't the old, ritualized emotion. Oh, my God. I stood over her, and though I didn't look at her again, I could see her perfectly, see the well between her breasts, the dark rose-colored circles in the nipples under the white slip. She reached up 
and I almost backed away from her, feeling her fingers move into my hair. She clasped my head tightly, massaged it with her fingers, sending the chills down my back, and then brought her fingers slowly over my face, the way a blind woman might to see it, feeling my lips and my teeth. It was the touch of someone burning with fever, the hot dancing tips of her fingers, and it was further heated by some low sound she made, like a cat's purr, without opening her lips. You belong to me, she said in something lower than a whisper. Yes, madame, I answered. I watched helplessly as her fingers dropped to my nipples and pinched them, pumping them as my body tensed, the sensation shot down through my cock. Mine, she said. I felt the compulsion to answer her, but it didn't do anything. My mouth opening and then closing as I stared at her breasts, that sweet, clean, smoky scent came to me again, flooded me. I thought, I can't bear this. I have to have her. She is using some altogether new weapon on me. I can't be tormented like this in the silent bedroom. This is too much. Back up. There. To the center of the room. She said in a low monotone, advancing as she spoke, her fingers still pressing and pulling at my nipples, pinching them hard suddenly so that I gritted my teeth. Oh, we are sensitive, aren't we? She said, and our eyes met again, the heat blazing into hers, the red lips just parted to show me the barest flash of white teeth. I almost begged her, said, please. My heart was skipping as if I had been running. I was on the very edge of bolting, just backing off from her, I didn't know what exactly, trying to shatter her power. Yet there wasn't the remotest possibility that I would, or I could. She rose on tiptoe in front of me, and I could see her hand hold something above me as I glanced up to see the pair of white leather handcuffs, the buckles dangling at the edge of the white leather chain. That I had forgotten about this stuff seemed a fatal error. But what did it matter, after all? Lift your hands, she said. No, not too high, my tall beauty. Just over your head a little, where I can still reach them. Fine. I heard myself shudder, little symphony of stressful admissions. I think I was shaking my head. The leather went round my left wrist first, buckled very tightly, and then around my right. My wrists were crossed, bound together, and as I stood as helplessly as if six men were holding me there, she went to the far wall and pressed a button that silently made the leather chain above me retract into the ceiling causing the cuffs to pull my wrists up well above my head before it stopped. It's very strong, she said, coming toward me again, her grace perfect in the spike heels. Would you like to try and break loose? The little petticoat slid up her thighs and the little nest of hair prickling under the white cloth. I shook my head. I knew she was going to touch me again. I couldn't stand the tension. 
you're impertinent, Elliot. She said, her breasts almost gaze, grazing me. Her lingers were spread out flat. Her fingers, I'm assuming, were spread out flat on my chest. It is no, madam, and yes, madam, when you speak to me. Yes, madam, I said. The sweat had broken out all over me. Her fingers moved down over my belly. Her right forefinger pressed into my navel. I couldn't keep quiet. Quickly, she dropped her hand to touch my cock. I moved my hips back away from her, and her left hand went up behind my neck. She moved to my side, her right hand pinching the loose skin of my scrotum very hard, her fingernails biting into it. I tried not to grimace. Kiss me, Elliot, she said. I turned my head back toward her, and my lips nudged at my mouth, opening it, and that electric shock came again. My mouth locked tight on her. I kissed her like I wanted to swallow her. I kissed her like I had her on a hook. I could hold her that way, no matter how helpless she had me. That's how strong the current was. I could lift her by the sheer power of it, draw her out of herself, and when through this delirium I felt her breast against my side, I knew I'd done it, that I had her. And the kissing was wet and luscious and sweet. Her nipples pinched the flesh around my scrotum harder, but the pain mingled with the force passing out of me into her. She was on her tiptoes with her whole weight against my side, her left finger clasping my neck, and I was feasting on her, my tongue inside her, my wrist grounding into the leather cuffs, trying to bake loose beyond my control. She pulled away and closed my eyes. God, I whispered. I felt her wet, sucking mouth on my underarm, pulling at the hair so hard that I winced. I was moaning out loud. She'd gathered my balls up in her right hand and was massaging them gently, ever so gently, her lips sucking on the skin of the underarm, and I thought I'd go mad. My skin all over had come alive. She bit into the flesh, licked at it. My body went rigid, my teeth gritted. I could feel her fingers letting go of my balls and closing around the shaft of my penis and stroking it upward. I can't, I can't. I said between my gritted teeth, I danced backwards, straining not to come as she let go, tugging at my face around and kissing me again, her tongue going into my mouth. It's worse than being whipped isn't it? She purred under the kisses, being tortured with pleasure. I broke away this time, pulling free of her, and then I kissed her all over her face, sucking at her cheeks and her eyelids. I turned that thrust my cock at her against the thin cotton of her slip. The feel of her through that cotton was too exquisite. No, you don't. She drew back with a low, sinister laugh and smacked my cock with the flat of her right hand. And you never do that until I tell you that you can do that. 
she slapped my cock again and again. God, stop it. I whispered. My cock was pumping, hardening with each slap. You want me to gag you? Yes, gag me. Do it with your tits or your tongue, I said. I was shaking all over, and without meaning to, I yanked the leather handcuffs as if I meant to try and break loose. She laughed a low, vibrant laugh. You bad boy, she said, and there came those taunting, punishing slaps again. She brought her nail down against the glands and then pinched it shut. Yeah, just a rotten kid, I wanted to say, but I swallowed it. I ground my forehead into my forearms, deliberately turning away from her, but she took my face in her hands and pulled it around. You want me, don't you? Like to fuck the shit out of you. I whispered in a quick darting motion. I caught her mouth again and drew on it before I could get a- before she could get away. I pumped at her again, backing away. She walled my cock again with a broad sweep of her hand. She drew back silently across the carpet. About six feet away, she stood just looking at me, one hand out on the dresser her hair fallen down around her face, partially covering her breasts. She looked moist and fragile, her cheeks beating with a deep flush, and the same flush on her breasts as on her throat. I couldn't catch my breath. But if I ever had been this hard before, I couldn't remember it. If I had ever been teased to this point before, I'd blotted it out. To think I hated her, and yet... Out of the corner of my eye, I was eating her up. Her pink thighs, the arches of her feet in the white satin spike heel slippers, the way her breast swelled under the cotton lace, even the way she wiped at her mouth with the back of her hand. She picked up something from the dresser. It looked at first glance like a pair of flesh-colored leather-clad horns. I opened my eyes to see it clearly. It was a dildo in the form of two penises joined at the base with a single scrotum. So damn lifelike the cocks seemed to be moving on their own volition as she squeezed the soft, massive scrotum in a way a child would squeeze a rubber toy. She brought it closer, holding it up with both hands like a sort of offering. It was marvelously well-defined, both cocks oiled and gleaming, each with carefully delineated tips. For all I knew, there was some fluid in that big scrotal sack that would come through the tiny opening in both of the cocks when she gave them the right twist. Have you ever been fucked by a woman, Elliot? She whispered, tossing her hair back over her shoulder. Her face was moist, eyes large and glazed. I made some faint protesting sound, unable to control it. Don't do that to me, I said. She gave another one of those low, smoldering laughs. She went back for a small padded stool and then stood beside the dresser, and she brought it with her and set it down behind my back. I pivoted to face her, staring at that thing like it was a knife. Don't push me. 
she said cruelly, her eyes narrowing, and her hand flew up and smacked my face. I turned a little, weathering the stinging shock of the slap. Yes, you'd better cower, she whispered. I'm not cowering, cutie. I answered, there came that slap again, amazingly hard, my face throbbing. Shall I whip you first? Really? Whip you? I didn't answer her, but I couldn't make my breathing quiet, couldn't stop my body from shuddering. Then I felt her lips on my cheek, right where she had slapped it, her fingers stroking my neck, and a low, thumping feeling rolled through me intensifying sensation in my cock. Soft, silky kiss, and the knot in my penis doubled, and in my head something snapped. You love me, Elliot? Some protective membrane had been ruptured. My mind couldn't catch up with it. My eyes were wet. Open your eyes and look at me, she said. She had stepped up on the little stool, and she was only inches from me. She had held that double phallus in her left hand, while her right, she lifted the lace hem of her slip. I saw her dark, curly hair there, tiny curling wisps against the pale skin, and shy, delicate pubic lips, the kind that are almost demurely hidden by the hair. She lowered the phallus and pushed one end of it up, into herself, her whole body moving in a graceful undulation to receive it, the other end curving outward and toward me just exactly as if she were a woman with an erect cock. The image was stunning, her delicate form and the gleaming cock rising so perfectly from the tangled curly hair, her face so seemingly fragile, her mouth so deeply rose-red. I hardly saw her hands move up or reach up until I felt her thumbs pressed into my underarms, her face very close to mine as she said, Turn around. I was making some soft, angry, helpless noise. I couldn't move. And yet, I was doing exactly what she said. I felt the cock push against me, and I stiffened, pulling away. Stand still, Elliot, she whispered. Don't make it rape. Then came the exquisite feeling of penetration, of being opened, that gorgeous violation as the oiled cock went in, too gentle, too delicious, up to the hilt, and then rocking back and forth, and a low buzzing pleasure coursing all through my limbs from that one heated little mouth. God, if she only rammed it, made it a damned rape. No, she was fucking killing me, which was even worse. She worked it in like it was a part of her, that soft rubber scrotum warm against me, just like her hot naked belly and her hot little thighs. My legs were spread out. There was that overpowering sensation of being filled, being skewered, and yet the rich, exquisite friction. I hated her, and I was loving it. I couldn't stop. Her arms went round, her breasts against my back, her lingers finding my nipples and again and pressing them hard. I loathe you, I whispered. You little bitch. Sure you do, Elliot, she whispered back. 
She knew where she was driving it, rocking it. I was going to come, jerk right into the air. I was saying all kinds of little curses under my breath. Harder, she pushed, moving me forward, slapping me a little with her hips, then faster, ramming me, her fingers stretching my nipples, her lips open and sucking on the back of my neck. It was building and building, and I was making low, stuttering sounds, thinking she can't come like this against me, not with me not coming. Then the thrust started slamming against me, almost knocking me off balance. And then she went rigid with a more pure woman in ecstasy cry. The heat of her breast beat like a heart against me, her hair falling over my shoulder and her hands holding tight to me as if she'd fall, as if she'd let me go. I stood paralyzed with desire and rage. I was locked out of her and she was inside me. But abruptly, I felt the phallus slip out with a kind of searing sensation and the soft, hot weight of her body move away. But she was still very close to me, and unexpectedly, I felt her hand on the leather cuffs above. She unbuckled the cuffs and released my wrists and laid my hands down at my sides. I glanced over at my shoulder. She had backed away from me. And when I turned, I saw her standing at the foot of the bed. She didn't have the phallus in her anymore, just that little slip barely covering her sex. Her face was rosy and her eyes glistened against all the whiteness. Her hair was a beautiful mess. I could feel myself ripping off the little slip, pulling the hair of her head back with my left hand. She turned to me, her back to me, one strap of that little slip falling down over her shoulder and parting the light cotton bed curtains. She climbed on the bed so that I saw her naked bottom and her tiny pink vaginal lips. Then she turned towards me, drawing her knees to one side almost demurely, her hair hanging down over her face, and she said, Come here. I was on her before I knew what I was doing. I scooped her up in my right and lifted her up on the nest of pillows. I drove into her instantly, impaling her, slamming her as she had slammed me. The blood flush came over her face and neck instantly, the deceptive look on her face of tragedy, pain. Her arms flung out and she bounced against the mess of lace ruffles like a rag doll. She was so tight, so wet and hot it astonished me, the sheath of convulsing flesh feeling almost virginal, driving me right up to the edge. I ripped at that slip, tore it over her head, and threw it off the bed, and in some mad moment it seemed she had me again, this time with her glove-tight little vagina, and her naked belly, and breast sealed against me, and I was her prisoner, her slave. But I wasn't going to come until she came. I wasn't going to spend until I saw her shuddering and helpless. And I drew up, lifting her from the bottom with my left arm, lifting her and forcing her down on me, then slamming her under the full weight of my body, grabbing at her mouth with my mouth, kissing her and making her face be still under mine. When I caught her like that, slamming her, kissing her, she exploded inside, the blood flush going dark, her heart stopping, full throttle into the little death, the moans of an animal, raw. 
and holding back nothing, I went on fucking her, spinning into her, fucking her harder than I'd ever fucked anything or anyone, male or female, whore or hustler, or powerless phantom of the imagination. In my life. That is excerpt from Exit to Eden by Anne Rice. Holy shit. Fucking pay me. Wowza. That was an intense piece, kids. Now I gotta figure out how we close the show after that. Jesus. Went on a little bit longer than I thought. All right, let's try this one next. Pay me. Because, holy shit, man. Did you listen to how well I read that? That's a cold reading. Somewhere out there, an Anne Rice fan is like, what? Huh? Is Anne Rice his favorite? No, that was a totally cold fucking reading. I need to be more famous. Make it happen, kids. Here we go. The first time Jake ate a woman out, he had been 19 and it had been an accident. Sort of. Unexpected. They moved from the couch to her bed and were going hot and heavy, undressed and pressed against one another, when Dana had surprised him by straddling his chest and taking his cock in her mouth. See? Unexpected. When faced with an unfamiliar situation, Jake did what he always did. Improvised. So he'd run his hands up the back of her thighs until they were over her hips and his fingers found purchase in her ass. He pressed a chaste kiss against the seam of her sex and felt her mouth close a little tighter around him. In the end, he had a numb tongue and the reward of his reaction when his efforts yielded results. He hasn't been able to suppress the satisfied smile he'd pressed into the taut skin of the inner thighs as she came apart, her entire body seizing. You're so good at that, she had marveled later, a tone a little inquisitive and a touch surprised. It's a gift, he had replied, a little smug, and kissed her, feeling his body flare to life once more. It's kind of become a thing. See, his mother had, back when awkwardly giving him the talk, rather than trusting the public schools or, God forbid, Gina, emphasized that sex was meant to be mutual, and that he should give pleasure as well as receive. And then his mother, uncomfortable despite being an ER nurse, had muttered something about taking care of a girl first, because it made everything easier. Gina, of course, had no discomfort in informing Jake that getting a girl off first was not just good manners, but also a tactical advantage. Well, basically do anything after that. Gina had stated frankly, twirling a lock of her hair around a finger and snapping her gum. Wait, really? 
Jake ignored the plate of french fries in front of him, and Gina slowly stealing half of the basket, in the wake of this new information that his mom hadn't spelled out for him the night before. Pretty much. Get her off first, kiddo. Jake scrunched up his face. Gina, we're the same age. Whatever, kiddo. She waved a stolen french fry imperiously. I think that's supposed to be impetuously. <laughs> I don't think she's waving a french fry around as though she is the as she is the stalwart of an empire. <laughs> but that's what's written. She waved the stolen french fry around imperiously, imperiously. She had then launched into an explicit lecture that amounted to, for lack of a better term, how to a how-to for touching a girl. In the course of this, Gina polished off the rest of his fries and helped herself to his drink. And that's how you find the G-spot, she finished, taking a long pull of his soda. The straw made a slurping sound and was loud in the relative quiet of the burger joint. She set the drink down, the ice rattling. You don't need a hands-on demo, do you? My mom's not at work today, and I've seen your room. P.S. Never bring a girl back to your room. It's terrifying. I'm good, Jake replied, holding up his hands. I I think I get it. People always forget that Jake liked solving puzzles. It's why he was the youngest detective in the 9-9. Oh my god, what? (laughs) It's a Brooklyn 9-9, man? Oh, it's Jake. Jake Peralta's first pussy eaten, huh? I'm kind of into this. I've actually seen this show. Okay. Piecing together clues and intuiting collusions came naturally to him. Not to mention taking a different direction tack to solve a case. Here's the thing. Every woman is different, right? The parts are fairly similar, but figuring out what each one likes or responds to, well, that's part and parcel of what makes Jake tick as a human being. With the next woman, he tongued her clit in lazy circles until she bucked against his mouth because kissing and nipping was doing nothing for her. The woman after that preferred fingers in addition to the tongue, and yet another came apart magnificently when he found her G-spot and worked it until the sensation was too much for her. The medical examiner had him eat her out, With an ice cube held in his mouth, a challenge Jake was all too willing to rise up for. Less arousing was when she got her own ice cube and tried to blow him. Suffice to say, not one of Jake's most impressive moments, either the high-pitched squeal that he made or the awkward waddle to get away from the cold tongue. Sophia, on the other hand, had been all heat. Her kisses had felt like his whole body was alight, and her hands left scorch marks on his skin, her nails dragging up his spine. She broke the kiss and asked him, How's your penmanship? Jake's answer had been honest. Not great. My boss says it looks like the top of a hostess cupcake. She laughed and wiggled out from beneath him, shifting up until his mouth was near her belly button. Well then. She said, voice turning seductive, maybe you should practice. And she shifted her hips so that they bumped into his chest, intention clear. 
Jake pressed a kiss into the flat plane of her abdomen, tongue tracing the bottom edge of her belly button. They, they say practice makes perfect, he joked. Cursive, she demanded. In lowercase letters. None of that block letter bullshit. She reached behind, <laughs> she reached behind her and pulled some pillows against her back, propping herself up slightly so she could watch him. Jake felt his body flush. This is getting kind of hot. He took his time, pressing kisses up the inside of her leg and running his hands up her legs. She hummed in pleasure at his attentiveness, skimming her nails up between the valley of her breasts. He smiled into the soft skin of the inside of her upper thighs and felt her shiver, pushing her knees apart. He kissed her mons before pressing a kiss into the seam of her sex, tongue pushing past her labia to trace the ridges of her folds. He heard her sigh, pleased, as he licked a strip, a stripe from bottom to top, then pressed the firm tip of his tongue between the smaller folds that led to her clitoris, tongue tangling with it in lazy circles. He felt her nails scratch his scalp, fingers nodding in his hair, and tugging roughly once before pushing down, bringing his mouth once more firmly against her. He bit back a smile and licked in earnest, following her directions and tracing the alphabet against her clit, stopping every so often to press his tongue inside her, and then dragging his tongue back to her clit. When he reached Z, he swirled his tongue around in the bud of nerves and saw it sucked up into his mouth, his hands dragging under her bum and over her hips, holding her hips down and flush against his mouth as he licked her more ardently, faster, and with more force. Sophia's hands tufted in his hair and pulled him closer as he felt her begin to crest before she gasped and arched her back coming apart with a cry and a full-body shudder. He continued to lick and suck at her until her inner muscles stopped quivering and her death grip in his hair slackened, giving way to the gentle running her nails against his scalp. It made him hum in pleasure, and her hips shifted, the vibration of his throat buzzing against the sensitive inside of her leg. That was nice, she said, after a long sigh of contentment, nails still scoring his scalp lightly. He pressed a kiss to her mons, to her hip, to her flat plane of her abdomen, to the valley between her breasts, to the column of her neck, and then finally to her mouth. Just nice? He murmured against her lips. I'll give it a B plus overall, she replied, grinning. Come here she commanded, and pulled him into her. Amy was different, different, and distracting. Oh, okay. I guess we're jumping ahead in time. <clears throat> they were on a stakeout, and it was Jake's turn to keep an eye out, the fake leather of the car seats creaking as he shifted, trying to find a comfortable position in the passenger's seat. Amy dozed, trying to rest a while while she could. Two years on patrol meant that cops could basically sleep standing up if need be, which his mother pointed out to him was terrifying. Jake surveyed the area with binoculars, the warehouse all bland and weirdly lit by old sodium lights, before his gaze finally settled on his partner. Because what else was he going to look at?
her mouth was parted in sleep, her lower lip looking fuller in the low light. That same light made her eyelashes look longer than usual, the fan of them resting on her cheekbones. Her breathing was slow and deep. The stray locks escaped, her ponytail brushing against her throat. The top buttons of her shirt were undone. And if, she was exhale, if she, and if she exhaled just right, he could see the tops of those cups in her bra, lined with some kind of lacy thing that he tried not to remember. He failed. Her legs are crossed at the ankles, her knees bent slightly apart. Jake was hit by a sudden desire to vault to the center console and press her seat and the crown vic as far back as it could go, kneel in the footwell, push her knees further apart, and run his hands up her leg, knee to hip, his thumb tracing the seam of the inside of her leg all the way until they press against the apex, his thumbs pressed against her sex. She made a soft, contented sound and shifted in her sleep, the seat creaking. In his fantasy, she made the same sound, biting her lip and looking down at him with her large, dark eyes. Her legs felt both solid and soft under his hands, the blend, fab the blend fabric of her pants bunching at his palms, rubbed up and down in length. Her legs spread apart further, his hips sliding forward, and Jake pressed his mouth into the inside seam of her pant leg and smiled into her inner thigh, enjoying the way she shivered above and around his shoulders. He imagined the ghost of her fingers scraping his scalp, running through his short hair. In real life, Amy made a frustrated sound and shifted, face turning away from his to the face of the passenger window, body canting away from his. Jake took a long, slow breath and exhaled while his mouth rounded the whoosh sound, low and eerie like the wind. After a long beat of silence, when his skin stopped feeling too tight and his blood too hot, he picked up the binoculars and surveyed the warehouse once again. When it finally happened, it went like this. They were making out, languid and slow and hot enough to burn, her mouth open and wet, her tongue pressing against his fervently. His body pushed hers against the vanity of her bath, the counter digging into her back, and his hands roamed freely over her skin, her shirt somewhere beyond the door of his bath along with his. Her fingers gave a tug at his hair, and he remembered that mental image of her, legs spread and eyes dark from the stakeout car. He broke the kiss gently, trailing kisses down her neck, between her breasts, down her stomach, until he, felt to his, until he fell to his knees and pulled her forward by her sips slightly, so that she leaned against the vanity rather than being seated on it. He slid one finger into the waistband of her sweats and tugged gently. Yeah? he asked, tipping his head back to look at her. Yeah, she replied, no hesitance, and braced her elbows so that she could push her hips forward, and he could tug the sweats down and the underwear off in one smooth pull. He placed 
his palm flat on the hip bone and curls his fingers back over her hip, gently pushes her back until the vanity is once more holding most of her weight. He presses a march of wet, hot kisses up her thigh before lifting the legs over her shoulder. This has the double effect of giving him more room and opening her up for him. The wet folds of her sex parted in invitation. He wetted his tongue and leaned forward, hands going outside her legs to curl over her hips. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. The first lick was exploratory, running the length of her sex and teasing the edges of her labia the entire time. The second lick was more lenient, the hard, flexible tip of his tongue dipping inside to caress her entrance, the folds inside, and finally to circle her clit with a deft swirl. Ah, Jake, she sighed, fingers brushing up his shoulder to fist in his hair. He hummed his approval, and she bucked her hips into his mouth. His tongue ran along the length of her, his lips pursing and nudging and teasing her, his nose and brow against her mons. He tightened her fingers. She tightened her fingers in his hair and tilted her head back with a groan, her whole body rolling. And Jake tightened his grip on her body, making sure she didn't fall. He sucked her clit between his lips, tongue tangling with it like he was a French, like he was French kissing her sex, and she pulled him closer into her, demanding more. Her breathing grew more erratic as her muscles grew taut, and she babbled encouragement, a lot of yes, there, yes, and a lot of saying his name, a lot of oh God, and sometimes all three together. Jake pushed two fingers into her, his other hand coming up to lie on her abdomen, and he pulled her clit between his teeth gently. He thrust and curled the two fingers into her, while also swirling his tongue wetly around the clit with more pressure than he had used up until that point, and it sent her over the edge. Jake felt her muscles contract around his fingers, felt the way her body went taut, held, heard the the series of grasping, half-sobbing sounds she made as her hips bucked against his mouth, his lips and tongue working her, coaxing her reaction as far as it would go, until he felt her start to slip, boneless, off the vanity and onto the cold tile floor. He helped her come down, half holding her in his lap, adjusting her so that she didn't crush him or his erection, straining against his boxers and enjoying a blissed-out expression on her face. When she saw him again, she beamed, dark eyes creasing slightly in the corners. Jake, she breathed, her hands roaming over her shoulders. You like that, huh? He said, mouth quirking up in a smile. (laughs) I'm pretty good. She rolled her eyes. I knew your mouth had to be good for something. She reached for his right hand, the other one that curled up inside her, still a little more sticky from her release, and took the two digits he curled inside her against her G-spot into her mouth. She felt the rough sweep of of her tongue against the pads of his fingers, and then the tight, constricting feelings of her mouth as she sucked. His chest tightened, 
and he pulled his fingers out of her mouth and threaded his hand in her hair and kissed her, wet, obscene, lips and tongue sore and half none from his exertions. Amy's response was immediate and enthusiastic. Her hand curled into the nape of her neck, her other fingers digging into her shoulder, while her hips and sex rubbed against his hard cock. He groaned into her mouth, and she broke the kiss, pressing her forehead into his and smiling. How about we take this someplace more comfortable? She asked in her best seductive voice. Jake knew how it sounded at this point, and he kissed her chastely for her trouble. <laughs> what? The bathroom floor isn't comfortable for you? <laughs> she clicked and rose, pulling him up. He admired the way her muscles bunched and tightened and flexed as she rose, legs and abdomen and chest and shoulders in turn. Gosh, you're pretty, he said softly. You're not so bad yourself, she replied, and hooked her pinky with his, pulling him out into her one bedroom. He hit the light switch on his way out, the sudden change in brightness making him see stars in her dark eyes. I, uh, I'll know my name and it's called again by K-A-S-U-C-H-I. <sighs> well, I said I was going to read more, but that was a pretty good show. You had for sure supernatural sexy, and then you had a little bit Brooklyn Nine-Nine sexy. We wrote the mystery. We did the poetry. That's a pretty good fucking show, don't you think? You should definitely tip me. You should definitely, definitely, definitely bring people back. You should definitely come back here, and you should 100% see me at more shows and streaming and all the rest. Oh, you should tip me. You should pay me. You should tell me how amazing I am, and you should see much, 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 much more of me. It's my voice, view checker. That's where the voice is from. It's from me. It's from my abdomen, since that's been mentioned a million times tonight. I was amazing. Thank you very much. And you should absolutely all show it. Because it's only going to get stronger from here. Uh, I do believe that. I do believe I'm going to keep going on the up and up and up from here. And you can't stop me, even if you want to try. <laughs> So bring friends. Come back next Friday, the 10th, 10 p.m. Eastern. I want to see you. I want to see more of you. If you're listening to this recording, try and make it. It brings all the energy in the world to me when you come live. I try harder. I mean it. Come out and see me. These shows are my bread and butter. or They're my butter, I should say. And I love doing them. So please, 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 please consider coming out. Thank you to everybody who did. I do appreciate you. Everybody who's going to follow me on Twitch because of this, I definitely appreciate you. Everybody who enjoyed the podcast sitting at home, down below in the description link is a link to my server. Follow it. Come on in. Say hello to us. Come to a live show. It's amazing. It's a good time. The women are a lot more uh, vocal in the first half than the second half because their hands get busy. It's even it's even more fun in person. You get to sit there and pretend that all the strangers around you aren't doing the same thing you're doing. 
I have to pretend it as well. But it's a lot of fun. It's much more fun than it thinks. Hopefully that's making you all blush, every last one of you. At least that's the goal. Again, thank you very, very much. I'm the Green Knight. This was a tip show. You should definitely come out to the next one. Thank you so much for all of your support. And see you soon.